I'm in conversation today with Seb Zudas, who is um, a leadership scholar at the Royal Academy of Engineering, and you are a systems engineer specialising in digital twins of cities. Yes, that's exactly it. Fabulous. Thank you. So thank Thank you for being with me today. And in conversations we've already had, we've discovered that we have something in common, which is that we both moved to the UK as small children um, and have established our lives as Brits, but also as people who have another parent from another culture. So we have quite a big influence from that culture. And we wanted to explore this a little further. So, um, yeah, tell tell me a little bit about the background of where, you, where your second parent, because it's your mum who's English, right? Yes, like, um, exactly. Yes, okay. so my um, mum's English, my dad's Italian. Um, I moved here, yeah, when I was young, uh, I was seven years old. And, um, yeah, just, you know, throughout my life and, um, you know, especially moving here as a, as a kid, and being exposed to to two, two different cultures more or less simultaneously, it gives you quite a unique sort of human experience, I would say. I think, especially when you know you you, well, for me specifically, you know, I, so I was born in Italy, raised there a little bit, um, you know, got used to like Italian customs, which although you might say, oh, when someone's seven years old. I don't really know but I'd, I'd say they do you know that there's some things that like you just become used to right and they they are the, the normal that you've grown up with and then you come to a different country and then suddenly there's a slightly different in my case normal but I think probably for you uh, probably a bit more of a distinct difference uh, regardless there's still differences mm. and so sort of growing up and having to navigate them both yeah, you know, it, it poses challenges, but it also, yeah, it, it it shows you that there's not just one way of doing things, right? There's multiple ways that you can do things, social interactions, food, um, you know, cultural norms, all those sorts of things. And so, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting human experience. And I think, you know, especially now with the world as sort of globalized as it is, um more and more people will share this um uh, and and especially countries that used to have empires you know they they took a lot of migrants in um and like they've also had to navigate this so you've got a lot of like first second third generation migrants mm. that even though they've you know they they were born in the UK and have grown up in the UK say they've still had to navigate two different cultures because there's the culture at home that their parents have retained uh, and then there's the culture of the world of the world around them right mm. of, of the UK mm. um and yeah I don't know so it's, it's a pretty interesting it's a pretty interesting thing um so yeah yeah and um if I just look back at my own experience just briefly I noticed that I, I was raised my first years in Zambia till I was mm. six and mm-hmm. I was already in school. So the main memory, I think, centres around school. And then when we moved into England, I changed school something like three times in a quite short period of time. So I, I recall that um, my desperate wish was to feel settled, you know, just mm. come my final school, my final, you know, let me feel I belong. And I don't think I really thought about countries you know so much so that even as an adult when I think about moving countries I only think about my adult experiences Mm. but actually you know when I really ground myself in this exploration we're having my first country was England you know Mm. the first country I lived in was Zambia but my first move was to England and therefore it is and especially at the ages we moved at that kind of five six seven age group you're already in school you're you already have memories you already you know are establishing yourself as a small individual and then you're, you're making this big change um and one thing that I did not have was 
I sh- I'm sure it must have shown up in some ways, but my mum um, is English and very, very English. So, you know, and she was very influential in my whole capacity in the English language. So, and your mother's English. So you would have been brought up, I presume, bilingual, speaking yes, English yes. and Italian. Yeah. Yes. So you had that advantage over a child who, say, is fully Italian coming into England. Yes, of course, of course. Yeah. But do you yeah. recall any challenges language-wise? Because I obviously I don't recall anything like that. So when I look back, uh, I think as a kid, I thought, no. As a kid, I thought, oh, and you don't really think too much about these things, right? But mm. but now I think the languages part of it sort of corresponds a bit to the cultural norms as well, you know, because there's certain terms that, you know, slang words that are, that are normal to each region. Um, and although kids don't strictly use slang, yeah, I mean, that did, you know, th- there were there were ways in which people would say things to me, which at first were really foreign um and like so for example I remember a funny story I was in school right um and we were sitting there and this guy was like poking me annoying me right and um my mum used to say oh you know stop being a little bugger right and so to me that was a really like fairly normal word that I wouldn't even consider swearing right but I said it like I said it to stop being a bugger everyone went silent right <laughs> and it was it like you know it was a, probably one of the first sort of embarrassing experiences that I remember as a kid um and another one like so another one's knob um so like doorknob so I remember saying to someone oh you know stop being such a knob thinking I, I'm thinking stop being such a doorknob right um only to find out that that also means, you know, uh, that also is a swear word. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think there weren't strictly like linguistic challenges in the sense of like, I don't understand, but it was more, I don't understand certain contexts of certain words. And therefore, when I use or misuse words, sometimes they could be misused, like in, in a way that is really sort of misinterpreted by people, you know, not in, not in the way that uh, that I intended and I think then you know, having that sort of set of experiences as a kid then makes you think okay well you know I need to be explicit and I need to be pretty clear with what I'm saying mm-hmm. to the world around me you know and then obviously you know does that brings up like certain sets of anxieties like oh do I talk do I not should I say this should I not um, and I think it sort of led me to be sort of growing up quite a reserved person um mm. I'm, a, I'm a lot less reserved now and it's this is the duality this is where we start with the dualities right because the italians are very open mm. you know you, you walk around italy like you know, I, I was there recently i was on a train and i had to like lock the bike up on the train this guy just starts talking to me like oh mate you know watch out um you know it could be that you're you're you need to really watch your bike it happened to my friend you know just it's super engaging, don't know this guy, you know. And so then I, I can also be like that. And it's sort of mm-hmm. something that's like a bit intuitive to me, you know. I just am like quite talkative, quite a talkative person to strangers. And so then, you know, part of me wants to be really outgoing. Then part of me is also thinking, no, 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 you have to stop yourself. And so then, yeah, this is where the sort of dualities, I guess, pro- like would have started for me. You know, um, I have to be careful with what I say, but I also want to be quite outgoing, mm. you know, as, as an intuition. Um, yeah. and, and I think it sort of speaks to the fact that, you know, growing up in Italy is sort of quite quite young. Everyone's quite outgoing, blah, blah, blah. Like in my head, the, the world is outgoing, right? Mm. Okay, therefore I'm also outgoing. And that's sort of something that's ingrained coming here. With the UK, people are known for being reserved, number one. Yeah. Um, but then also like making these sort of subtle mistakes and then you know getting sort of the social cues that mm, you need to watch what you're saying yeah that was pretty pretty interesting and yeah definitely not easy to navigate as a kid and not something that really can be taught either you know mm-hmm. um, I don't know do you have similar experiences maybe I think um, uh, the kind of similar experiences with my dad in a way but more Mm. 
in that cross-cultural piece where my dad would tell me how to handle something mm. and and my dad's way would be very direct very straight mm. and you mm. know in England we can be quite subtle um not yeah. say exactly what we mean um yeah you know, kind of get to the point, but not dead on. And mm-hmm. um, so I met challenges like that because, <clears throat> you know, I, I remember saying to a child, um, a fellow classmate, would you like to come to my house for tea? And mm-hmm. expected her to say yes or no. And she said, I don't mind. And I just could not understand that. You know, yeah. and I was like, well, yes or no, which is it? You know, yeah, yeah, classic British <laughs> you know? response. Yeah. And I was just like... <gasps> And um, she was the most popular girl in the school, but I am the biggest I don't mind person now. So mm. I think I thought, oh, this is how to go through life. Just mm. say I don't mind. So yes. on the one hand, I was really rattled because I didn't mind whether she said yes or no. I just wanted clarity. But I honestly say I don't mind. As an adult, I say I don't mind so many things. Yes, <laughs> you yes. just want me to choose. This film or that film, this meal or that meal. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's something uh, I've tried to break. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, I've also become quite an. I'm not. I don't mind. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it, it's partly because it's sort of an easygoing type attitude, maybe. Um, <laughs> you know, oh, do you choose between this film or that film? Well, there's probably pros and cons to both. So yeah. you know, it's pretty like you know not too bothered right as long as I'm seeing the film for example yeah um so maybe that's where that philosophy that sort of way of thinking comes from yeah um and well yeah and it's so tricky as a kid isn't it like because you know you've not really developed those sort of speech and language skills to to uh, to uh, what to, to to address these things right mm. and so yeah it's a uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting, isn't it? Well, if your father's Italian, my father's Ghanaian, and I have a number of Italian friends, and I find them a lot quite, I mean, I hate generalisations, but I do find them quite straightforward mm. and yes. clear in, in their yeah. Um And um, so did you did you come across challenges like, like what I came across, this kind of wanting to just, especially if you'd already come across these stumble points, you know, mm. and then you're now in a dynamic where maybe you want to talk straight and clear, but you're also mm. wary of your language. So do you think that cropped up sometimes or, or even crops oh. up now as an adult where, yeah, you know, it's not always easy to be direct and to the point? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it has done plenty of times to be honest and it's like I feel like I've been on both sides of that mm. um I think when I was like you know a teenager but then also teenage boy right like you know picking jokes and being silly um you know sometimes I'd say things that were like really direct and mm. people would like really take that the wrong way um and then sort of I learned that that's really not the way to sort of be but I think that again like I said teenage boy growing up um you know sometimes you need to consider (laughs) other people's feelings sort of thing (laughs) and um so then I sort of almost flipped in that sense so went from like very direct to super like to super I don't mind uh, right like and then became almost too agreeable right Um, and then I had to sort of really try to unlearn that and try to think of like, you know, where where is the balance? Where is the crossing point? And where should you use one more more than the other? And that's sort of where I'm at now. It's like, okay, there are certain times where like really, you know, directness is absolutely needed. Um, you know, and you're doing everyone a disservice if you're not being direct. Um, but then obviously... I, th- I think it's also a skill, right? How do you be direct whilst also considering the other person mm. um, and, and how they're feeling, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, it's interesting um, with different cultures. So the Dutch culture. So so for the listeners, my intention in the sort of near future is to move to the Netherlands. Um, you know, maybe as we said, <laughs> follow up podcast. Um, Definitely. But, um, 
they're known for being very direct, right? And so I was there recently and, um, you know, yeah, like they were. Um, what was the, what was the situation? Basically, so it was, there was, it was two Dutch girls, right? And, um, you know, not to, again to generalize, but girls can be pretty indirect. But these two, like they, they had an in- interaction and it was like, oh, you know, I'm worried about this particular thing and, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. So they were discussing it. And then anyway, one of them left and the other one sort of came back. And um, basically she said, right, I'm going to, I think I need to bring it up with my friends because, you know, I, I hope that she's not doing something silly, whatever it was. Um, and I just thought, what a brilliant way, like, I think what a brilliant way to be because it's like, you know, you actually get to the root of the problem and there's no nonsense, you know, Um <laughs> And sometimes if you're too, like, flimsy with what you're saying, like, you never get to the root cause, the problem, like, pertains, you know, you end up in cycles. And, like, that's when, well, that causes strain on any relationship, be it friends or intimate. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, you know, seeing that as well and then comparing it to how people are here, which is known to be very indirect, you know, what's better? I mean, Mm -hmm. in my eyes, it's a balance, but... um, you know, I think there's certainly a value to just like being straightforward. Um, mm. But yeah, going back to the whole navigating that when younger, yeah, it was tricky um, because it wasn't <laughs> indirectness isn't obvious, right? Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, any sort of there, there's so you know we we do most of our communication not necessarily through speech, although this is through speech, but a lot of human communication happens through things you don't even hear or like it's always things that you might see or even feeling or you know are they in that position or that position or you know are their feet do you know about the feet thing like if someone's foot's pointed towards you oh no about this one no no all right so here's a funny one so um basically if you look um at two people interacting say that they're standing right you can look at where their feet are pointed and that isn't uh, is a clue as to how interested they are in the other person right yes um and so basically if they got two foot two feet pointed towards them and their you know their torso is also pointing towards them they're interested and they're having an, a, a good conversation that is a, that's like a closed conversation if they're both like that mm. if one's slightly side on and they've got one foot pointed towards the person the other foot in another direction yeah it's um, suddenly that means that um, they're not quite as interested and they're open to another person coming in right. to the conversation. And if they got both feet pointed away, well, that's trouble. They're not interested. And, um, you know, you should either change subject or or, or, or move on. And, uh, you know, mm. so, you know, I guess that speaks to the subtleties of human communication. But, yeah, I mean, so funny enough, I was actually at a conference where they were teaching this. Mm. because it was like how do you network in a in a group of people that you don't know mm. um and like yeah you know you need to look out is that a closed group is that an open group you know mm. are their, where are their feet pointing and where are their bodies pointing mm. um and I found like I knew about the feet but I didn't know about the cl- cl- open and closed groups thing mm. um and I found that so so interesting you know mm. um so yeah that's uh that's fascinating both my feet are pointed directly in this in your direction (laughs) 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 that's amazing I mean I've learned quite a few I've never heard that before and I've learned quite a few things about um the kind of general differences um you know about body space you know one some Mm. more comfortable with a closer body space and some mm-hmm. not like Brits generally we like our body space we don't mm-hmm. cramped up close to another person um but that's a new so I will be looking yes. at everybody's feet from now on <laughs> yes yes it's so interesting especially if you look cue. at yeah yeah but it's not even necessarily like yes of course, and sometimes it's interesting how you might use it right because sometimes you might be in an interaction and like either you're not enjoying it or something's making you uncomfortable point both feet away mm-hmm. you know and then you'll start actually feeling uncomfortable like uh, like you need to leave and it becomes easier to leave mm. you know and the same thing if you if you know that you know 
if uh, like you want to make a um, an effort with, with with a given person right and um you know you want to sort of not pretend but you want to be interested in what they're saying mm. point both feet towards them and make sure your torso is pointed towards them and it, and it actually then makes you feel slightly more you know engaged in what they're saying um mm. so it also works both ways it's, it's so it's, it's yeah it's mad this mm. yeah that's fascinating so what about other things like that but maybe that kind of stem from either the Italian side or the British side that you really feel of are things you're happy you've adopted so mm. we've got a couple of the challenges but what are things that really you're proud to own as part of who you because you all have chosen them you know mm. chosen which bits work for you and like you said, yes. you're you, yeah. I think tactility, like being tactile, that com- that comes quite naturally to Italians as well. I, I I sometimes wish I was a bit like I sort of learned to be a bit uncomfy with it here, but then when I'm with people that are also tactile, it comes out too. I uh, something that I want to work on is is doing that more and becoming more comfortable with it because it's something that I unlearned in coming here. Mm. Um, and I know your your thing was more like, what are you proud to have? But I think, yeah, you know, having that like almost as an intuition, I think is a is a really good thing because it helps you, you know, connect with the person and um, you know do so in a way that's slightly more intimate. But like, also if you do it naturally, I guess it's like sometimes people think you're coming on to them, <laughs> you know, and so that's a really tricky one to balance, right? But um, I think having that um come on naturally as as an intuition is a good thing uh, I, how is how's Ghanaian culture I mean with with tactility I imagine it's fairly tactile um well it's interesting that you say that because the absolute truth is I'm not 100% sure um mm. I don't think it's especially tactile but I'm mm. I don't know I my so my father is from Ghana but um I've only been to Ghana once and right. on quite a brief trip and without my father. So, right. um, and a lot of people have commented on how non-tactile my family was. So oh, really? we, we were a very loving family, you know, mm. um, but I, and I'm sure as a little child, I had lots of hugs and things like that, but certainly as a teenager, I don't, I remember once coming home from a trip abroad, school trip, and something maybe not great had happened because I remember being hugged by my mum and being more struck mm. by the hug than I was by what I was telling her because the hug was so unusual. Um, yes. And But my mum was the most loving mum ever. But, you know, and I don't even really recall my father hugging me. But my father would mm. like to smell the cheek and stuff. So... I suppose it's interesting what choices um, of tactile behaviour are chosen within a family. Um, mm. And certainly within mine, it wasn't very much. Um, and because um, people, people, my sister and I, in I suppose England, did, when I was about, um, I suppose, teenage years, um, I remember it becoming very cool to um, try and be more European, you know, so we would link arms and girls would yeah. link arms and walk around linked and yeah. or hold hands or, you know, there was, there was a, 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 like a very clear move among school children to be more familiar, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wasn't very comfortable with that, you know, yeah, so, um, and, and I think this is why people started to notice and say, oh, your family's not very tactile. Um, and I do look at a lot of my friends, and when I think about it, they were very huggy, came from very huggy families. Mm. Um, and um, and then, obviously, this school kid move to be more tactile, went to the hugs, and then that I, I liked. So I love mm. giving people hugs and I love being hugged. So it's quite funny now I'm very comfortable with it. But it's interesting that it took time um, to have that develop even within my own family. 
you know, if mm-hmm, I parted mm-hmm. from one of my parents, I didn't hug them, you know, bye. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Off I go. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, this, this tactility thing, uh, I think it almost speaks to like almost individualism versus like community. Mm. Um, I, I can't comment on the, on the US, right? But, you know, I think the UK at least is fairly individualistic when compared to, to like especially southern european cultures right mm. um you know and so then maybe that's a thing of like oh no like everyone is themselves need to respect their own space right so that could be a, a, a thing of where it comes from mm. um but yeah yeah so um so yeah what um other traits would you say are Kind of, because like when I look, my father's influence on me was quite strong. So Mm. um, especially the straight talking side of me, I am known Mm. for being very direct. And I Mm. am fortunate that my mum was the queen of tact and diplomacy. So Mm -hmm. I I can adopt it. Um, I can be those things. Um, But I do have to be very responsible for my speaking because Mm -hmm. I can be very direct almost too much. And to the point of being tactless sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I equally can, you know, be highly appropriate to the context and and then be diplomatic or, you know, something like that. But I am quite mm-hmm. grateful for the trait of being direct. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, I think I'm also um, grateful. I think I know this isn't particularly related to nationalities, but from both my parents, which were from different cultures, I got a very strong work ethic. Um, and, mm. um, and from different reasons, you know, my mum's father was working class um, and had a, instilled in her a very strong work ethic. I never picked mm-hmm. up on conversation about class from my dad at all, but mm-hmm. he had come into England as a young man with a job um, and um, he met my mum at some point, decided to stay. And he, as a young black man in the 60s, was oh, going God. to have to work really hard to yeah. achieve and be considered remotely equal and things like yeah. that. So from two very different standpoints, you know, if I really broke them down and analysed them, I came, I had instilled in me a very strong work ethic but without it really being talked about you know things i've shared those are things i've learned and just pieced together that or made up you could say that that's why there's such a strong work ethic in both of them but i am Mm. really grateful to that strong work ethic because it enables me to use my time quite well Um, yes of course of course which it's interesting that, that you bring up work ethic i mean certainly Southern Italy was was very poor, um, and there was you know you had uh, big incentives from various you know people to try and like you know bring it um, bring it up in the world, let's say. Mm. Um, but you know there was the whole sort of the Italian economic miracle, right? Where post-war um, a lot of the Southern Italians went up north and um, basically you know, earned lots of money relatively. Um, you know, they, they weren't working in farms anymore. They were working in, you know, construction sites or whatever. And um, it's sort of, that's my granddad's side as well. That's his story too. Um, you know, and, and to have it, to have to have lived through the war mm. um, for, as a kid, you know, until he was like, you know, 13, 14, then like move uh, to Northern Italy, basically, like with a wife you know very young basically um you know to try and find work etc that firstly says a lot um and then so my granddad and my dad both of them um they worked in construction but both of them um what is it they they're the types of people that wake up at six every day you know with no like uh, no ifs or buts they're up sort of Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. they go to work they do what they need to do which is like pretty heavy manual labor type work you know and then they you know do what they need to build and then come back and 
you know that what that has been a source of motivation for me in the past because it's you know especially when I was studying because I was like oh well you know I find it hard to get up or something but then I think to myself hold on no you know they've done it before you firstly therefore you can do it B, you've got the genes, right? In some way, somehow, you've got it in you um, to be able to basically, you know, have some sort of a, a rigid routine that's going to, like, work for you. Mm. Um, I don't, you know, they obviously lived completely different lives, right? No, they didn't go past, uh, to, to school past 14, um, you know, worked in, in manual jobs, like, uh, all of their lives. You know, that's, that's, that's not my life path um, mm. for better or for worse. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, there's this idea that, you know, they've done it before me. I can do it too. Um, and basically being able to sort of put that motivation towards the things that I want to go and do and achieve. Um, yeah. That's definitely been a source of motivation for me. Can't really speak too much on my English side, although funny, like I've got a, great granddad who was an engineer um he the british side he um was working with engines at rolls royce uh, mm. throughout the war sort of thing um and now i'm an engineer and now it didn't it's not that i was like oh my great granddad was it was more like my interests are you know making things building things you know doing interesting things with machines any machine i'm obsessed with right trains planes cars you know you name it it's interesting to me um and so you know that's almost something that's a little bit inherent right and so i guess i'm sort of the result of again these two different cultures right one of them is like you know like for well, you know you've got to get up you've got to work hard blah 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 you know no doubt my great granddad the engineer also had to do something similar but um you know i guess he was more uh, the academic side and therefore the sort of more you know mathematical type engineer right um and so then i'm almost the result of of that i'm also i think interesting because like for me you know something like getting my hands dirty it doesn't i'm not necessarily scared of it right mm -hmm. so i'll just like you know oh there's a thing that needs that can be built right okay bam go and i just like launch myself into it um and I remember I was like, I was in Italy one summer and I was working with my dad and I've never worked with him before, but mm -hmm. so he was also a builder and uh, we were helping, um, uh, we were, we were, we were fixing part of a pool basically. And, um, what happened basically. So, uh, we got all the materials, we put them in the middle of the pool and he just started, he just went and worked. Like, he just did it. Now it's interesting because with i i personally would have been like right look first you need to do this then you need to do this then you need to do this this is how we're doing it this is how we're laying it out these are the objectives now go and do but then he just went and expected i was like you're not going to show me he was like well i was never shown <laughs> he just like you know just go you just got to go and try right wow. you just got to go and do it and at first i was a bit like oh you know i don't know what i'm doing don't want to get it wrong um but then, you know, I sort of just went and did it and got the hang of it, right? And that is sort of the, that's sort of the, the way of thinking with these, with, with people from that background, right? It's mm -hmm. like, ah, uh, you know, you've just got to go and try, get it wrong, just see what breaks, see what doesn't break, see, see how to fix it again, you know? And um, I think that certainly served me well in terms of, like, sort of the more electronic software and mechanical side of engineering, because it's mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, you, you can get these things called Arduinos. I don't know whether you've heard of them. Yeah. No. Um, basically, they're just these like programmable um, integrated circuits, right? And they, they're made to be really easy to use, but you basically get them, get some like circuitry stuff, you know, resistors, capacitors, blah, blah, blah. You can get like kits. They're very cheap. Um, but, you know, I met a lot of people throughout my time studying who basically were a little bit hesitant to get their hands stuck in you know they, they always had to be told what to do mm, um mm. before they actually went and did it mm. there's pros and cons right because if you if you go and just do it and break it well it could be that you break something that's worth millions of pounds for Absolutely. example yeah. um but then if you you know 
um, go and try and do something that's like not as, you know, not millions of pounds worth of risk. Um, you know, you also find your own way of like what works and mm -hmm. um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you know, it's, um, it's interesting to have the exposure to both sort of ways of doing things. One, you could say slightly more blue collar, the other one's a bit more white collar. And then like mm -hmm. when you twin the two, yeah, I think it's been, it's been, it's been really valuable. I won't lie. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, oh yeah, you're talking about jobs and I want to mm. ask you about um, uh, what is digital twins of cities? What, ah, okay. does, what does that even mean? I introduced yeah. you and I'm like, what is yes. that? Um, so firstly, what is a digital twin? So I want to like imagine that you're a car manufacturer, right? You, BMW, for example, and you want to make uh, the new version of some car right um and so you might say to your development team ah okay you know well hold on you've got two options the option that most of them use now is to basically build lots of these cars and crash test them right there's a whole process between behind like developing cars but let's just take this as an example okay. um and so to do this what you'd need to do is build you know hundreds of cars let's say and like crash test them all individually you know, and that's quite a lot of money that you have to put in. Um, so, but you build the cars physically. Now, what a digital twin enables you to do is you basically take the the computer model of the car, make it as close to reality as possible, and basically smash the car in all the different ways and uh, all the different crash tests virtually, right? So, it's a, it's a way that you can build the car in the virtual space as close to reality as possible and do a bunch of tests basically that allow you to save money but also to you know ah this hinge isn't working as well as we thought it would mm. let's change that you know before you actually go and build the manufacturing process etc cetera, etc cetera. same thing for cities right so although cities are already built but let's say that you want to build a new district or you just want to map out the city in a different and more interactive way you would basically take, um, you know, map data and a bunch of other bits of data from the city um, and you would put it all in a database and basically use that data from the database to make a virtual replica of the city wow. and the sort of tests that they do. Um, so let's say, for example, you want to build a new district, but where do you put the roads and where do you put the this building and that building and how do people flow between the two buildings, right? Let's say you're building a stadium, for example. You know, you don't want it so that one end is really hard to get in and out of and the other the other end is like, you know, really easy, let's say. You want them to, to work together like in, in a good way. <laughs> and so then you might create the digital twin, um, do run all of the models and run all of the tests um, and basically make changes before you actually go and implement it. Mm. Um, there's sort of another level to a digital twin, which is like public engagement. Um, so right, maybe they want to build a stadium and they've got a lot, like a few different options of how they could, um, you know, uh, have the roads or have the car parking spaces or something. And um, basically you can then put these into VR um, or even just like, a you know, a, a mobile app or just a website, right? Mm. That the, the average person that's not, um, involved in the development process uh, can access and basically you can then get like wider feedback from the people living in the place um, than you would otherwise because otherwise what they do is like public consultations and so well, you know the digital twin en enables um, you know a, a lot more engagement with this public consultation because otherwise it's like you know, they'll do a survey or something like that. And, you know, most people don't really care too much about the survey. And they just go, oh, yeah, you know, more mm. or less that, more or less that. Mm. Um, or they just don't respond or, you know. And sometimes you see the little, you know, you might have seen them even in, in your city, right? Mm. You know, you'll see the little things. Ah, oh, the road's going to be closed because, um, you know, we're doing some works. But sometimes you also get the little posters that say, we're running a public consultation, get involved. Now, how often do you actually get involved? And there's almost like a bias there because it's the people that like really do or don't want the thing to happen Absolutely. that get involved. Whereas if you've got a web portal, just like a website, um, 
that you can just you know you you get an, an email or something or you get a letter through oh go to this website and like test out this uh, the the digital swing of the stadium or whatever mm. you know there's a lot more it's easier to engage um you actually see the thing mm. um and so these are sort of the cases that are emerging for digital twins um it's pretty early technology to be honest with you they're not like widespread everywhere yet but like it's getting there and they're also they also enable like um smart cities in a, in a lot better way right so mm. for example you know um you you know like google maps yeah yeah and you know um the you know it gives you like road traffic live yeah. data now imagine that you didn't just have road traffic live data but you could actually you know get like the moving cars like not exactly to every single car but it would give you like you know basically a, a lot more real time real looking thing mm. so that's mm. one thing but maybe also like people density right mm. how many people right now are in this particular bit of of the city you know etc mm. etc et now you might not have that publicly available um but you as the city you know the city council or whatever it is um can then use that data to, to basically make better decisions mm. um so so yeah that's that's more or less digital twins in cities um and yeah it's pretty cool it is um and so ironically you even in your actual job you're in you're involved in construction and yeah. uh, in a yes i know yes kind of you know because you're literally yeah, definitely. establishing cities yes mm. uh, it's funny how that all sort of came around because mm. well yeah it's true right like and, and i do sort of i do like built environment stuff right mm. because it's like you know these are the places in which people actually live there's a lot of engineering stuff which is a bit like behind the scenes right so but i don't know the computers that we that we work on or etc cetera, etc cetera. most people just think oh you know it's a screen with a typewriter and like some computing stuff underneath right mm. and that's that's absolutely fine for the normal person um and i'd say we've reached a pretty good level of computing power in the world right now you know they're pretty strong and you, we've basically got computers in our pockets um everywhere we go but you know there's a lot to say you know, if you walk around a city if you walk around anywhere sort of that you might shop or you know buy things you know you want it to be a nice place you want it to be a nice place to visit to sort of spend time in and mm. um and i like my personal view is i think that we should have more nature embedded in the cities um partly because you know there's a lot to say about like greenery and mental health number mm. one Mm. two it sort of it helps people recognize that like you know if you just got a landscape of concrete it's really easy to sort of separate the countryside and like nature and you do you know what i mean but yeah. actually that's that's still not true like you know we're also part of nature as well mm. um and for me the netherlands yeah you know one of the motives for going there um is that there's really sort of so you know i visited utrecht right um, what sorry utrecht it's a city more or less in the center of the netherlands okay um and you know there was there was these it's so it's fairly dense there's a, quite a few people there um and yet people on the sort of the street and um they had dug up the bricks on the street right because it's all bricks it's no like um tarmac or anything they mm. dug up the bricks they'd made their own little garden right like in the street and there was loads of these you know dotted around and so for me there's two things there one is um you're so they were making food right so one is although you live in the city center you're still making producing food for yourself it gives mm. you an appreciation for nature but also none of them were ruined none of them had litter you know and so then also it's a fact of like if as you're walking around you know people respect that space a lot mm. more you know and so mm -hmm. it, it's yeah I just think it's a lot more of a respectable way of doing things and it's still somewhat individualistic right because mm -hmm. that's the food that they make for their own house yeah um however you know yes I just and then when I came back here you know trash all over the place like you know and you just sort of think you know god if only there was a bit more respect but how do you get the respect mm -hmm. maybe because you mm -hmm. see that that's actually someone's you know 
bit of land, mm. um, even if it's small, you know. Mm. And so, yeah, how did we get onto that? Oh, yeah. Um, the, the talking about your job. But that's fascinating yes. because do, do you think um, in the scope of like moving countries of like you moving to the Netherlands and you having mm. this skill set that really also or you could almost move anywhere? And I mean, obviously, you'd have ling ling linguistic concerns and a number of other things, but that mm -hmm. job would travel, would it? Wouldn't it? Your actual skill? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's one of the benefits of like being sort of within engineering. Um, you're pretty in demand almost anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not a case that you just you, you get the degree and you're good. You know, there's always a process, but you're you know you can yeah as you say move more or less anywhere you get like a fairly good pay at least and um you know some pay like an, another motive for the netherlands is they've got like a a five-year discount on tax if oh. you move there as like you know one of their in-demand roles one of them is in engineering mm -hmm. um which is pretty damn good you know um so but I could, because I've also considered America. I've also considered Germany um, as places to go. But it's so like America is pretty hard to get into. Um, you know, it's it's not a it's not an easy one, right? Um, I think Germany. There's a lot bigger cultural barrier there than the Dutch one, and I think also a lot of Dutch people speak pretty good English, mm. and the Germans not so much. And there's in terms of cultural differences, like there's a there's an implied formality, a, a lot of like interactions, right? So here, you know, I'd call you know my my lecturers and professors by their first name, and that was fine, and they never wanted anything else. But in Germany, apparently, from what from what I've heard, people have to be pretty like formal. Oh, you know, Mister Blah, you know, Professor Blah. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Like, and there's not necessarily that's a problem, but it's more like wherever I go, I want to sort of embed myself. Mm. And it would be, I think it would be a lot harder to embed myself there. Whereas, like mm. in the Netherlands, there, there's so many links, right? Because it's mm. it's like um, even the language itself, basically, it's a mix between you know Nordic and Latin-based languages, right? And you you you'll see this in like weird words, like umbrella, for example, is like parapluie. Mm. which in French, like, if that sounds really French, right, which means, mm. like, um, rain stopper, mm. you know, uh, or, like, rain preventer sort of thing. Mm. Mm. Um, and, you know, the, we also have the sort of the French link to, I'm trying to think, like, beef and um, cow, you know, that's a pretty famous one, right? So beef is boeuf in French. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'd be able to more easily embed myself in... Mm. In that culture, I like the directness. Mm. The fact that people treat their cities well is pretty good, mm. you know. Um, and they're also very sort of accommodating and international mm. people, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, and their urban planning is just phenomenal. <laughs> That's something that really gets me every time. Mm. Um, you go there, it's so easy to get. They've basically got a train network, right, that... Um, that works like a metro system, you know, and not quite as frequent, but so, so you know how, like, say you go on the underground in London. Mm. Yeah. Um, you can expect a train to be there within the next two to three minutes, right? At the latest, so it depends on times and all of that. Mm. Same sort of thing in the Netherlands, right? You know, you'd basically go to a station, next train to whatever, like, you know, it will be there in like 10, 15 minutes, mm. you know, and it's, it's interesting comparing that then to Italy because in Italy, no way, <laughs> you mm. know, it's like, you know, at least half an hour till the next one, which might take you to where you want to go. Mm. And even then you've got to worry that it might not be late mm. uh, or it might be late. Sorry. Um, you know, and it's like in terms of where you want to like exist, <laughs> you know, where you want to like live and build a life sort of thing. Mm. Like for me, you know taking all these things into account like it just seems like the right place to go mm. um because and then even coming back to england you know because when i did come back you know like it's, trains were delayed you know half the underground wasn't wasn't working you know the place was like a mess in so many places 
um, you know, like like physically dirty, you know, um, which is fine, you know, and and it's not that these are necessarily like massive problems. And there's a lot of things that do work in the UK, you know. Let's not mm. forget that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of, like I'm I'm lucky enough to have the choice, mm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and so yeah, you know, I would like to take that on board and mm. um, basically, yeah, see what happens over there. Mm. Also, new language and get to mm. learn the new language and you know those sorts of things. So, Absolutely. So yeah, um, in summary, yeah, the, I, I think the Netherlands they've done something pretty good there. Um, they've got some pretty good organization. Um, like I said, the trains, obviously loving loving any machine. Um, that's brilliant. Um, urban planning is fantastic. Um, yeah, it's good. I think I was saying before, it's good to sort of be exposed to more cultures. And actually, you know, talking about like the topic of like living between two different cultures, then it sort of opens your head to like, okay, like we were saying before, this isn't the only way to do things. So how else can you do things, you know? Uh, and so then I guess having that constantly in the back of my mind almost enabled me to to think, yeah, you know, I'm open to trying a new place. I'm open to seeing how people live their lives in a different country. Um, and, and then I'm open to new languages as well. And um, I really like sort of figuring out like what comes from where in language. Um, you know, I think obviously English comes really sort of, and Italian, they come pretty intuitive to me. Um, but then in learning a new one, it's like, okay, this has origins there and that has origins then. And then like looking into the history and those sorts of things, um, you know, because the, the Netherlands, they've been invaded, but they've also been an empire. But then, you know, this and that. And, and then before they were just like a conglomeration of provinces, but then they banded together. And it's like, how did that then form their culture, you know? Mm. Um, so... Yeah, I think, yeah, the experience of growing up in two different places so, or, or with two different, like, cultural backgrounds then opens you up or allows you to be more open to new experiences. I don't, is it the same for you, maybe? I completely agree. Um, yeah. yeah, it's fascinating because I definitely have that. And, you know, from a young age, I've been interested in people, in languages, in cultures, um, and that's why I do hate generalizations, but at the same time, I enjoy discovering about people. Mm. And um, and I also, you said something about um, the things that the digital twins of cities can open up. And I think, you know, a lot of things have stolen from other countries or borrowed, you know, like, mm. you know, um, for example, this Ox Oxford Circus amazing crossing that we now have, you know, mm. that's in Shibuya, Tokyo, and that was mm. originally there. But I can imagine the digital twins of cities could take all sorts of amazing things from other cities and amalgamate them into the city you're in, whether you're in Rio de Janeiro or whether you're in Holland, you know what I mean? Like wherever Yeah, you're precisely. Um, precisely. And I think, um, I definitely think I have a openness or a curiosity about um people cultures and languages um and you know i teach english as a language and um i speak a couple of other languages poorly but you know the interest is there um so i'm really with you and i and i was thinking i was actually asking myself some time ago like i wonder if my willingness to move countries for myself partly stems from the fact that I made that move because although I desperately as a small child yearned for that um, stability and regularity of something I'm equally comfortable in being thrown up into mm. the new and the, the how to work it all out and not having everything mapped out and obviously mm -hmm. that's not true of everyone I have so many friends who travel and move for countries and they never moved as children but I do mm -hmm. think it's interesting that for you it's it's connected and certainly for me it's connected it, it seems very much that um and also it almost when you talked about the gene pool I feel like it's mm. in my gene pool because my father moved to England um mm. and he moved for a job as far as I understand and then stayed probably because he'd met my mum by then mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. um you know um 
but that willingness to immerse yourself in another culture with the challenges it chucks up, you know, and all the great stuff it chucks up, you know, because it will mm -hmm. always be a medley of, of both. So, um, so yeah, so I definitely share that with you. I can fully understand why you're looking at, you know, it, considering it from that angle. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And I think it'll be very interesting to talk about the Netherlands when you're there, when you've settled, mm. to see whether some of the things you anticipated map out or whether yes. the, the, you got some surprises in the very areas that you're looking at, you know, with admiration. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes. and, and whether other things pop up and surprise you that you didn't even know were there to be discovered sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's sort of the things that I look forward to is that, you know, is that is going through that process, mm. you know, because and I think also moving when I was young, because we weren't like it was just me and my mum when we like, you know, my mum had like very, very little money. Um, you know, and I just think to myself, God, you know, if if we managed that, you know, back then in those circumstances, I'm pretty sure that it would be you know, it, it better this time, mm. you know, in these uh, circumstances. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I read about it a lot, right? You know, expats in any country, it's like, oh, you know, you, you go through like loneliness, but then, you you know, you get this self-confidence and, um, you know, because you just have to sort of branch out and try new things and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, that's, it's, I, think, I think it's a good thing to go through, especially when you're young and you, mm. you have the chance, right? Mm. Um yeah, because I, you know, for me personally, like I've known quite a few people, you know, they finished their engineering degree and they, you know, they settled, they went for a job and then they've settled there and like, you know, that's that basically. And they'll stay there. And I won't lie, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, but that sounds like hell for me. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I look forward to the process, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's good to sort of set your own challenges up and it's almost, it's a bit of a rite of passage, I think. Um, for, for me, that's the way I'm seeing it. Um, you know, some people, their rites of passage is sort of going through, going travelling, you know, doing all of Asia or something. And, you know, I did a bit of travelling this summer and I thought to myself, I loved it and I had, and I saw some amazing things. Um, but I also really enjoy stability. I also really enjoy, you know, um, having a routine and, you know, having things that are a little bit predictable, at least, you know, um, mm. when when the unpredictability is the is the everyday, like constantly unpredictable, like you literally don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. Um, you know, yeah, that's that's actually that puts a lot of mental strain, like even neurologically, like that really does like. You, you know your brain's not made for that mm. um at least not for long periods of time mm -hmm. um and so yeah you know uh, mm. and then maybe you know mm. maybe i'll spend like five years there maybe i'll spend 10 who knows but and then i guess this goes back to like being grateful for for mm. having the, the options um mm. you know because yeah not everyone has that um but you know i'm lucky enough to and um yeah i'd like mm. to see see what happens and yeah you know it would, I think it'd be really interesting mm. to have the post move podcast as well because I've had mm. that comment too and people have said oh you know don't don't like glorify it too much because you'll be disappointed and it's like I'm aware that I'm glorifying it I know I am mm. <laughs> but um I think there's just so many possible pro points yeah absolutely because yeah mm -hmm. I was only going to add to what you're saying it's okay if you're glorifying it because mm it's part of your vision, it's part of what you're up to. And mm -hmm. one of the things that maybe we share a skill set in is you're talking about things mm -hmm. you learned and unlearned almost automatically mm. as a child to survive or to establish yourself as a small child. Whereas now in adulthood, everything is your choice. So, you know, that you you wish to discover being more tactile and appropriately and therefore that's a choice and you know so it, it, people do tend to be wary of our you know visions to move abroad and think we're looking at it through rose-tinted glasses and things like that 
but ultimately, you know, you have the skill set. We have the skill. Well, all of us have it, but maybe it's obvious to us. I think every human has it to adapt mm. and to, you know, we're humans are natural migrating people. You know, um, and mm. so I think we all yeah, have yeah. inherently the capacity to make our adaptations. But what I'm hearing in you is the the real capacity to own your choices and to choose what you want to unlearn, what you want to learn, and having that kind of wide opened eyes of what am I seeing and pulling it towards you rather than disliking it or being interested in it, shall we say, being curious. So, yeah, so it will be very interesting to explore further. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I think you, you hit on something there, like, yeah, learning and unlearning things and, like, knowing when to and when not to. I mean, it's, like, sometimes I think, like, God, am I a psychopath? Because, like, I choose to be, like, in a particular way with particular people at particular points in time, you know? And then sometimes it's like, oh, you know, is, is that, like, a, um, you know, am I, am I, like, consciously, like, is this a manipulation technique that I'm, like, doing? I guess, in a sense, it is, you know? Um but then it's also like, yeah, learning to adapt. You know, you're in different places. You need to embed yourself. Um, you know, your people act in different ways, you know. And I think it's it almost stems from like you want to be included in the tribe, right? Like, um, you know, that's why we get anxiety. That's where sort of the whole thing supposedly comes from. It's like, you know, I want to be part of the tribe, you know, because if they kick me out, I'm going to die <laughs> alone <laughs> in the wilderness. Um <laughs> So and maybe maybe it stems from that, and I guess you know the shared experience of like having having that like um, how do I say? Well, yeah, in childhood especially, like having to then readapt, having to then you know adjust your way of being um, in different situations with different people, you know. Um, I guess a bit more for me than you, maybe because I used to go back quite a lot to Italy, right? And mm-hmm. so then. Um, you know, in going back, I'd start to talk more with my hands, you know, and then coming here for like however many months and I wouldn't, and then like, you know, and, but then obviously you really do like learn to, okay, now this person switches on, now this person switches on, right? Mm. Um, But then do I have multiple personality disorder? I don't know. <laughs> but do you see what I, I think? Um, yeah. I think there's, there's, a, there's certainly a benefit to that too, right? And And I guess doing it like, doing it consciously you know um and no and I guess knowing that you know the person that you are now is transient like your Mm -hmm. personality now will change based on what you do where you go the people that you hang around with all those sorts of things and I and so I think that's really something that like you know I guess I realized um fairly young relatively young it's like um you know yeah you can always transform and and i guess having that you can always transform you know then you sort of have a choice well how do you transform and who do you transform into and who do you want to be you know um and yeah you well you want to transform for the better and for the good and and those sorts of things and you know and and, and sometimes you know you you sort of mal transform or you maladjust to something and and you can sort of recognize that maybe a little bit easier so yeah it's it is interesting mm. i think um yeah i think it's a real opportunity um living abroad and just experiencing and and i don't hear you being a psychopath or the other things you said i i hear you um reading people just reading what's appropriate in that context that you're in and yeah yeah almost the other way around, being multifaceted mm. to adapt and provide what's appropriate in the moment and mm-hmm. in that particular environment, um, you know, rather than just running rapshod into any old situation yes. because there's only one dimensional way of doing it. Yes. So um, that's, <laughs> that's how I um, see how you come across from what you're sharing. Oh, well, good. Bless you. <laughs> But I, I think there's also like um, there's a slight downside to it too, right? 
um, in the sense of it's also brought up questions like, you know, who am I? Right. Because it's like your sense of identity morphs so much. Right. Mm. One second you're Italian, one second you're English, one second you're, you know, you're an engineer working in London. The next second, you know, you're eating non as pasta as someone that's like, you know, just there, you know, being the guest mm. and, and those sorts of things. Mm. Um, and, it, and you know, so sometimes I do go through that. Oh, God, you know, what am I doing? Who am I? Like, no, but I, I think that's sort of normal um, in sort of the human experience. Absolutely. However, this again, you know, going through and having multiple sort of cultures behind you, because I guess it makes that flare up a little bit more. You know, and maybe that question comes on earlier in your life than you than you would have normally. You know, because it's fairly normal, say, like you know, between eighteen and well, even beyond eighteen, and maybe even younger, to start really thinking about, oh, you know, who do I want to be? Who am I, etc. Um, mm. But to have to like process that um, in a sort of a whether you like it or not sense mm. um, when you're much younger. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's got it's got pros and cons. You know, there's there's challenges and there's um, there's some good things there too. Um, but yeah, you know, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. Very interesting, fabulous. I can hear a million questions coming into my head that I literally that I'm going to have to write down and keep for next time um, for when you've moved um, because yeah you've raised some really interesting points that we can explore next time so we'll definitely, definitely have another conversation 100 um, <laughs> and i just really want to thank you for taking your time and really just you know us going into the exploration and navigating our way through the conversation as much as talking about how we navigated life from two cultures mm. so thank very much indeed oh, it's been an honor thank you so much um yeah i found it really interesting engaging and um yeah no i look forward to to the next one hopefully thank in holland <laughs> yeah hopefully in holland absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fabulous thank you take thank care you. thank you